Greetings and welcome to TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study one chapter of Tanakh in each podcast. We're now in Eov chapter 27, Parak Chaf Zion, and we're entering into sort of a bridge area of the Sefer. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, Parak Chafav, chapter 26, was the end of the first round of dialogues, and uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sofar, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sofar, Eliphaz and Bildad, Sofar did not speak a third time, and Bildad's words were the shortest that we've had so far, and the shortest pair chapter in the whole book, and Eov's response after each one of them, and Eov's response in Chafav to Bildad's words. And now the colleagues, the friends, the disputants have nothing more to say, so Eov continues, and Eov continues with a series of Mishalim, and a Mashal, unlike the way that we use the word in Rabbinic Hebrew, in Midrashic literature typically, Mashal in Tanakh means a speech, uh, but a speech which uh, which is often uh, flowery, poetic, um, the most famous, of course, are the Vayisam Shalom Vayomar that we accord with uh, to uh, Bilam, and how we and how we have the same the same phrasing here with Eov. We have quite a few intersections between Bilam and Eov, uh, and uh, and we will look back at that at the end of the Sefer. Um, so Eov here begins is Mishalim. The first Mashal lasts for two Prakim Chavzayin and Chavchet. And then his second mashal is Chavtet, Lamed, and Lamed Aleph, quite long. Uh, and that's sort of the, the end of the first half of the Sefer, really the first two-thirds of the Sefer. Vayosef Yov Seid Mishalo Vayomar. Now, this chapter is divided really into two parts. One part is his oath and his commitment to always speaking the truth, or to be true to his own position, uh, and to never engage in flattery towards God, which of which he accuses the disputants. And then there's another piece which is about the the fate of the Rishayim, but it could be read in two very different ways. And we'll see it when we get there. Chai el hesir mishpati. He takes an oath that God has removed him from mishpat and not allowed him to go to to, to trial, which is as an inherent contradiction of sorts, in that he's taking an oath by God's name, meaning by the truth of God, that God has been, shall we say, unjust with him. Vishadai he marnafshi. Shaddai has embittered me. This uh, has a fascinating parallel at the end of the first chapter of Migilat Rut, where Naomi says, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, ki hera Shaddai li. Shaddai has been bad to me. And same sort of wording here. Ki chol od nishmati vi, meaning as long as my spirit is within me, and really what it means is as long as I have breath within me, Veruach Eloha Be'api, and God's spirit in my nostrils. This goes back to Breshit, where God brings man to life by blowing spirit into his nostrils. Im, now the im is part of the oath. Im to Dabernas Fatai Avla, that my lips should speak wickedness, or in this case, a lie. He's taking an oath that they won't, he won't do that. Ul if my tongue will utter um, deceptive statements. Chalilali. He says, God forbid, he takes an oath that he won't do that. That I would ever, seems to mean to justify your position, meaning to ever cave in and concede that the accusations you've leveled against me are true. 
that I will never do that, until the day I die, meaning I'll never do it, Lo asir tumati mimeni. I will not lift up or deviate from my wholeheartedness from me. And his wholeheartedness that he's maintaining seems to be his commitment to, to integrity and honesty about his own position and not to admit that he's wicked when he thinks he's not wicked and therefore not to use that as a way of, shall we say, in a simple, uh, way of explaining away his bad fortune or his bad, um, his bad circumstances. And he continues, I have held on to my tzidkut, to the righteousness of my position, and I'm not going to let go of it. Which may mean that my heart will never utter bad things. Now, miyamai here normally means since ever, but here has to mean will never. So, liyamai would be properly the way we would read it. Um, or it may mean that my heart will never be downcast. In other words, I'm never going to accept your claims against me and thus feel downcast. And then he says, And this line is very hard to decipher. He says, My enemy should be like a rasha. Which is very strange, unless what he means to say is that the rasha has a terrible future. And he says, My enemy should end up like him. Omit komami ke'aval, those who stand up against me, and that may mean the three disputants, it may not, like a sinner. Now, from here on in, the question is, do we read this all as declarations or rhetorical questions? We'll see. Kimatikvat chanev what is the hope of the sinner that he will gain? Kivtsa, ki yeshel aloha nafsho, yeshel may mean that God will give him uh, serenity, shalva, or that God will forget him, meaning he'll won't, he'll look away when he's doing bad things. So one is clearly a, a greater miscarriage of justice, but either way it's a miscarriage of justice. Hatsa'akato Yishmael, will God hear his cries? When he's in pain? Now, here he's talking about the rasha, as not being having access to God. But notice how he says it, is that God, as it were, will give him serenity, but God will not listen to him when eventually, as happens to all of us, difficult times come. Im al-shaddayit anag, will he take pleasure with God, which is exactly what Eliphaz told him he would accomplish if he did tshuva. Ye cry Eloah b'chol eight, will he call out to God at every moment, meaning will God be there to respond in every moment? Now, these few statements seem to encapsulate Eov's feelings about the Rasha, that he has things great and he has no use for God, but he concedes part of the point to the, the disputants, saying, but because of that, he can never find true solace in God. Okay, but he still has Yeshel Lohanafsho, the Shalva. And then he says, Oretchem biyad El. I will instruct you in the hands of God, meaning I will instruct you as to how God deals. And that which is with God, I will not lie. Meaning, I'm going to tell you what's really the truth about God. And then he says, And this seems to be directed at Eliphaz, who keeps invoking his his visions. He says, you've all seen it. Why are you speaking vanity? And now, from here to the end of the parak, there are really two different ways to read it. Um, one is to read this as a statement about 
about uh, about wicked about wicked people, uh, in which he seems to be backtracking from his position and accepting that the wicked really suffer. On the other hand, this could all be said with a rhetorical flair of a question. And that's the way I believe it should be read. I'm going to read it that way. Is this the portion that the wicked have? The, the portion of the abusers that they get from God? Do his sons really get killed? And his descendants aren't satisfied? They don't eat? This is what, of course, the disputants have been saying to him, that the Rishayim suffer. And he's saying, what are you talking about? The Rishayim do fine. And that's his, the main point of Eov's claim. So I find it hard to understand how somebody could read this as a declaration, because this means Eov's done a, done a U-turn. Sridan b'mavet yikaveru, that his, his remnant, whoever's left over from his family, are buried. And his widows don't even get to cry. The notion is that he dies, and his widows are taken captive, and they have to work so hard, they don't have a chance to mourn him. If he's able to collect silver, like dirt, meaning lots of it, and lots of clothing, just like clay, is he going to prepare it and a tzaddik will wear it, which is what you've been saying? And he'll end up returning all that money, as we saw in the earlier uh, disputations. Will his house really be built like a moth? Meaning, it'll fall apart. And he'll make his his guardhouse like a sukkah. The rich man lies down, and he's not gathered unto his people. He just dies somewhere anonymously. He opens his eyes, and suddenly he's not there. Is that how they die? Do the fears reach him suddenly like water coming out of nowhere? Is he taken at night like in a storm? Does the wind pick him up and he's gone? And uproot him from his place? And God sends this punishment on him and doesn't have compassion. And he runs away from God. He spoke that that God smacks his hand against him and whistles at him in derision from his place. And again, I believe that these last psukim have to be read with that inflection and that understanding that what Eov is saying is this is not the case of the Rishayim and what I've been hammering at the whole time is the Rishayim are successful and they, and they live a nice life and they die nicely and that's my claim against God. Okay, we'll pick it up in the next parak where Eov continues this mashal, this uh, this speech, uh, and then in Chavtet we'll see his, through Laman and Lamed Aleph we will see his uh, second mashal. But in the meantime, we should have a wonderful day.